We've talked a lot about the labor shortage, as it's called, by some. Uh, we've also had some people on the air say, you know what, it's not a labor shortage. It's not like we have fewer workers. We just have so many jobs. But anyway, you slice it. We know we're in a situation where unemployment remains at historic lows in our country. And it's not expected we're going to see any real change in that situation anytime soon. So right now, for the past couple of years or so, um, our country's unemployment insurance program has been the subject of some consultation and some study in terms of maybe we need to do things differently. If we want to do things differently, what would that look like? Uh, so we know if we get it wrong, right, where we are, we could make things that are already pretty bad even worse. So that's the risk that we run. And Whenever we talk about this labor shortage and whenever we talk about um, the fact that there's a lot of jobs that are just left wanting and people aren't taking them, I hear from you on the text line a lot saying, well, we make it too easy to just stay home and collect the government check. Who wants to go to work? Why would you? I don't know if there's how much validity is there is in that, but that's come up as part of this reform process. So let's let's talk about it. We're going to speak with Ricardo Chefik, who is a research associate at the Institute for Research on Public Policy. Ricardo, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Hi, Shane. Happy to be here. So when we talk about this, and, and let's just sort of try and define that term labor shortage, because there's a lot of people out there who say we we don't really ha- it's not like we don't have enough workers we've got the same number of workers we've always had in fact we have more it's just we have so many vacancies so how do you look at where we are currently when it comes to Canada's workforce versus jobs and employment uh, well that's exactly right uh, i think the labor shortage is a bit misleading because it, it elicits that exact type of reaction this feeling that we're running low on workers we're running out of workers when as you say that's in fact not true um, the labor force is bigger than ever. Unemployment is near record low. Uh, labor force participation is back to pre-pandemic levels. And I think uh, one of the most important statistics in this conversation in particular is that the number of people receiving EI is actually lower than before the pandemic. So you would be really hard-pressed to say that we have the reason we have labor shortages today mm-hmm. is because people are staying home, not even staying home to receive EI, staying home in general. Instead, what many have proposed is that we have a, what, what economists call excess labor demand. You know, two years of high inflation that outpays wages have increased incentives for firms to hire more workers. Right. And that demand has not been being able to be met with a similar increase in supply because of, you know, normal constraints on population growth. And most basic economics will tell you when you get that imbalance between supply and demand, Ricardo, things will benefit for the workers, right? I mean, and we've we've heard those stories as well. When there's a real, real need for people to get people hired on wherever they may be running their company, you know, there's more options for the people that are out there looking for work, higher wages, more, all that stuff, right? Absolutely. I mean, um, it. It's two sides of the same coin. The reason labor shortages are uncomfortable for firms and for employers in general is because they now have to compete for labor in ways that they haven't had to in 50 years. And that is a problem. I could see that making their day-to-day more difficult. I empathize with that. But at the same time, what you just said is that same competition that pushes firms to make themselves more attractive to to employees. And that's what hopefully would lead to increases in wages, increases in labor productivity, improvements in uh, working conditions. All things that are ultimately good for the economy. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. So when we're talking about employment insurance reform or reevaluation or whatever the case may be, where does that fit into this? Because like I say, there's a lot of people saying or think that, hey, there's just it's so easy to just sit at home and get a government check. Why wouldn't you do that? Um, That's not necessarily true, right? I mean, there's actually some pretty strict rules in place already when we're talking about reform that make that really difficult to do. Exactly. Um, I think that that's one of the, the main reasons why this concern um, shouldn't be too big of an issue. And in, in when we think about reforms, I mean, to begin with, workers can't really choose when or if to go on EI. They're not eligible if they quit or are fired with costs. They need to have worked a certain number of hours uh, in the year before being laid off in order to qualify. And they can only access benefits for a maximum of 14 to 45 weeks, depending on how many hours they worked and the regional unemployment rates. Um, and on top of that, w- those who do qualify only get 55% of their average earnings back in benefit. So I don't think firms should be too worried in that sense, because if we can all imagine how difficult it would be to try to continue to live comfortably with only a little bit more than half of our income. That's the thing. I mean, if you're going to try and make a living off of uh, EI, you're not making much of a living, right? I mean, it's it's a very, very meager allowance. Exactly. 55% of your income up to a maximum of $650 per week, which I think it's a rate that would be make it really hard to uh, cover the living basis in most Canadian cities. And the other thing is that you couldn't get it forever, right? Like at some point, benefits run out and you have to go back to work in order to be able to qualify for them. Yeah. So when we're taking a look at reforming, and uh, that's what this conversation is about, do we do we need to? I mean, if, we, if we've got a program that works to provide a safety net and at the same time incentivize people to get back into the workforce, do we need to reform it, or is it working the way it should? Uh, I think that there's truth in both answers to that statement. Okay. Um, I think there are ways to improve and reform that, uh, the program that are very much needed that would still create those incentives to go back to work. I mean, one of the most popular statistics cited, which I think should be of concern to, to most people, is that in the 1980s, um, roughly 80% of the unemployed were covered by EI. In the 10 years before the pandemic, that number is way closer to 40%. Wow, okay. And that's a problem because EI not only helps those who lose their jobs, but actually has the potential to help all of us during recessions. It works as what it's called an automatic stabilizer. So when a recession happens and many, many people are laid off, employment insurance is the thing that allows them to retain a portion of their income so that they can keep spending in the local economy. And that lessens the impacts of the negative impacts of a recession or or an economic shock. So it's in our best interest to have a well-working, wide covering employment insurance program so if we if we don't need to do it to to that way do we need to do it the other way in terms of making the program maybe a little more lenient or a little more generous is there room for us to do that and not risk like you say that incentivization to get people back to work definitely i think that um some of the things that we're proposing like uh, making the program slightly easier to access and slightly more generous would go a long way in covering a bigger portion of that pie and providing benefits that allow people to find the right job. Because that's the other thing is we don't really want unemployed workers to jump on the next possible opportunity. We want them to be able to take their time and find the right 
um, opportunity for them that is as safe as they want it to be and uh, that uh, that accommodates all their needs and preferences. And that, and that way, it'll hopefully be a longer and stronger labor force attachment as well. Um, so I don't think it's one or the other. There's definitely lots of room uh, to to expand the program without taking away those incentives. Um, last one, and I'll let you go, and I do appreciate your time. It seems to me, when we take a look at Canada being as massive as it is, it's as big as, you know, all of Europe almost. It's like, it seems crazy to me that we have a national program that doesn't have uh, allowances for regionality because the conditions are so different depending on where you are in the country. Could that be part of the reform analysis? Well, actually, it's interesting that you frame it that way because uh, most of the thinking that we've done goes the opposite way. Okay. There, there's actually huge regional differentiation in terms of the type of benefits that people can access. So, so there's 62 EI regions in Canada. Okay. And each of these regions have access to a, a, a different version of the program based on their local unemployment rates. So in a city like Toronto, where unemployment tends to be low, you need to have worked a number, uh, you need to have worked 700 hours in order to qualify before being laid off. Versus in a, in a more uh, rural region, perhaps a, a region with um, a higher share of seasonal workers, it also, um, the employment, unemployment rates are perpetually a little bit higher. And in those regions, you need to only have worked 420 hours to qualify, and you have access to benefits for up to 45 weeks. Whereas okay. in Toronto, you only have access to a, smaller, a shorter thing of benefits. So one way that we could simplify the program and make it easier to act, uh, navigate and administer would be to um, implement the uniform entrance requirement, making it so that everyone in Canada needs to have worked the same amount of hours in order to qualify. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Ricardo, thank you so much for your time. Unfortunately, I'm out of time, but I do appreciate you being here.